us your word through Sam, God. This prayer, Lord, that you would speak to us, speak to our spirit, and allow our heart and our mind to just absorb and to be with you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. And I find now in church, I, I end up saying yes, uh, like this, yah, yah, a little bit. <laughs> That's right. Don't know, Mike. It's your fault, man. <laughs> uh, we love our South Africans here. Hey, I want to pick up from last week where we left off in a point that really hit home at Superconnect that we were talking about. And it was this statement, faith is not a trick or a talent. It's something that you grow. Uh, it's something that God wants to grow in you. It's not a trick or a talent. It's not reserved for those that get a big dose of faith and therefore we can write off uh, our inaction to the fact that we're the ones with the little dose, that the Wilberforces of the world are the ones that have been given the big dose, that the missionaries are the ones that have been given the big dose and we've just got the ordinary dose, the low and all sure dose. <laughs> God wants to grow you into the sort of person that has a big faith. The only challenge is the way that he goes about it. I said to the guys in Superconnect, there's a way that God grows our faith. There are ways that we can grow our faith. There can be the easy, hard way or the hard, hard way. The easy, hard way or the hard, hard way. I'm not sure which one you want to choose. The easy, hard way is what we did last week with Recommitment Sunday. It's not easy to take steps of trust in God. In fact, uh, someone in our online community I lost him for about five minutes because he was just indignant at the fact that uh, I would dare to suggest that he doesn't trust God enough. And I lost him for five minutes of the sermon. I might have lost you now for five minutes of the sermon until he realized, no, there is always an opportunity to take a greater step of faith, a greater step of trust in God. And, and to do that proactively through the things that we do, you know, is not so that we can manipulate you as a church in terms of engineering our own survival. It's God's church. The reason we do these things is God wants to grow your faith and we want to be a part of growing your faith the easy, hard way because it's not easy either way. This morning, I want to talk about the hard, hard way to grow your faith. Are you okay with that? Yeah, many of you, if you've watched online or if you've seen the notification, you grow your faith. You know, these are the sorts of messages where people go, yes, I want to know. They've got their notepads out. They're ready for all of the different points. They can't wait to hear the way that we're going to talk about this, a five-step process. And then they hear it's the hard, hard way. And I've probably lost you already. <laughs> the hard, hard way, because as a pastor, as a pastor, you see so many things. You see, you see situations where uh, someone recently, um, wonderfully waiting to, to see uh, the, the birth of their child and they're hit with a significant illness. As a pastor, you talk to people who say, after 30 years of marriage, my wife and I have decided to separate. As a pastor, you see people that are dealing with situations where their kids have fallen ill and it's inexplicable. As a pastor, you see people wrestling through their singleness and wondering, is God ever going to provide that person for me? Uh, most of the pastoral life is real life. And the beauty of doing what I do is that over and over again, you see people in these almost like I, 
you know, I'm not going to survive, I'm not going to make it type moments of life, and yet they come through with a bigger and a stronger faith. That's the wonderful thing of doing what I I do. And I guess for my question for you this morning is, would you like to build that type of faith, the type of faith that when these things in life hit you, you cut through these circumstances like a hot knife through butter? So where I want to take you today is a passage I've been sitting on for about a, a, a week or so, and it's, it's one of my favorite passages. It's a passage in the final stage of ministry in the life of Jesus. And it's a paradoxical, confusing, upside down, makes no sense type of story, of situation that you see what Jesus is up to in this. Jesus' BFF, which for any of you over the age of 30 means best friend. Jesus' best friend Lazarus has fallen ill and desperately Mary and Martha, who we know, the two sisters that sat with Jesus, one was very diligent, one just sat at Jesus' feet. Those two sisters, the sister of Lazarus, hear this and they say, okay, if he's really sick, go get the walking pharmacy, Jesus, who's been performing all of these different miracles around the countryside. If he's sick, go, someone quickly go get Jesus, he could fix this. And so we enter into the story here in verse 3 of John 11, where it says, So the sisters sent word to Jesus, and they said, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, get ready to underline this. So when he hears that his best friend's sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. What is up with that? You know, the King James Version says Jesus, because the NRV doesn't even dare to say the way that it's supposed to be translated. The, the King James Version translates it like this. It says, Jesus loved Lazarus, therefore... He waits. Therefore, he stays. What is up with that? (laughs) What is he doing in all of this? Now, this is going to create a new category in in your theology, in your personal theology, and it's an uncomfortable category. It's the sort of category that will have you switch off for the next five or ten minutes from the message. Type of category that could make you angry when we describe this. But the category of faith that we see here from Jesus, and let me ask you this question, could it be that Jesus is allowing bad things to happen in these people's lives in order to grow their faith. I've wrestled through this. I'm not sure if he's necessarily engineering it. I'm not sure if he's actually causing it. The guy's sick already. Jesus didn't make him sick, but Jesus is allowing it. Could he be allowing this in order to grow their faith? And here's a bit of the clue, because if you go down to verse 14, it says, so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Right? So time's done now. (laughs) Right? It's, It's over. Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. So that you may believe. Let's go and see him. He says, for for your sake, I'm glad that I wasn't there. In other words, what he's saying is, for the sake of growing a big faith in you guys, I'm glad that I didn't perform a miracle and a quick fix to make the situation better. Are you wrapping your head around this? This is hard, hard way to grow your faith. (laughs) And look, as much as you and I push against this, 
haven't you and I had these moments where you hear someone's faith story and they said, you know, I, I was following Jesus and life was going really well and then I had this, I didn't ask for it, I didn't want it, I didn't expect it type of tragedy in my life and yet God did something in the middle of that. Have you guys ever heard that? And can I get a show of hands here in the room? if you've been a Christian long enough, that you've had situations where over the long arc of your life, you've had a moment in your life where you said, I wouldn't wish this on anyone. I wouldn't pray this into anyone. I wouldn't ask for this. I didn't expect it. But something tragic came into my life. And when I look back on it, God was with me and working in that. Is there anyone here? Yeah. Keep them there for a second, please. So either those that are too nervous to sort of put their hands up, or the ones that are in the middle of this situation, you look around and you see the value of, thank you, you can put your hands down. I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that. <laughs> I did it. If you're watching in and you're the only person in the room today, or if you're online and you're able to hopefully see some of these hands, I, I want to I put that there to say, this is why we do church. Because every one of those hands that got put up is a hand that's going out for a coffee after the service. And if you are the sort of person that is thinking, where is God in all of this? Or how could he possibly work in these situations where I don't think he's working? You just saw a whole room full of hands saying, I'm already living proof, right? Because we know now that it's possible when we see those hands, it is possible that even though we didn't sign up for it, even though we wouldn't want to go through it again, we know that God does something in the middle of these moments. We know that God grows our faith the hard, hard way. And that's what I call, you know, my ministry language, pivotal moments. We need these pivotal moments to grow our faith. Lazarus's death is a pivotal moment. These tragedies in life are pivotal moments. These moments, a defining moment, a time where it seemed like God was far away from us. And on the other side of it, we look back and say, wow, God grew me through that. You had a pivotal moment. Faith the hard, hard way. And the thing is, these pivotal moments can be positive or negative. Like, positively, they can be the sorts of moments where, hey, I went on a mission trip and God showed up. Uh, those moments where we had a worship night, we just worshipped like crazy and the Holy Spirit turned up and it was like nothing I've ever experienced. But more often than not, it's those moments where if you're from a religious tradition, the tragedy comes into your life and then suddenly God, for the first time, became real for you. You experienced that? Or maybe if you're not from a religious tradition, or maybe you're watching in on this, that this tragedy's come into your life and you start praying. Have you ever noticed how even the staunchest of atheists, when tragedy comes into their life, prays? Koshi. Koshi's always praying in the middle of tragedy in Channel 7. You know, you know it's the Koshi principle. There's just something within us that calls out to this power beyond ourselves when tragedy strikes. And so for most of us, it's those times, the big, the negative, the unexpected circumstances where we say God did something in that in a way that couldn't have happened any other way. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis, the great writer, says this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So, if you, 
If you, I know I'm talking to people this morning that if you're new to Christianity uh, or you're coming back to Christianity or you're just downright skeptical of Christianity, you're saying, yeah, of course, Sam, I know the, why you're talking about this because this is your Christian's crutch. This is what you guys do, that there is a God who's not actively involved in the world, uh, that he doesn't care about us. And so you guys have to make your sermons up in order to give yourself a placebo or a sugar pill in order to sweeten the tragedy and just the downright junk of life, Right? <laughs> But the amazing thing, and I would say that if that is you this morning, if you're watching in, the amazing thing is that you would see, if you are here with us or you're listening in, and as you've seen those hands, that there is an undeniable relationship between people with big faith and suffering and tragedy in their life. And it's why James, the brother of Jesus, says, when he was leading his church eventually, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Do what? Face trials. Hang on, I thought, I thought Christianity was supposed to be, you know, the believe in God and then he protects you, you know, and that's, that's it. You know, claim the name of Jesus and nothing bad will happen to you because you know that the testing of your, what's the word? Faith. The growing of your faith, the hard, hard way, develops perseverance. There's a connection, he says, between the trials you're going to experience and your faith and it means that God is up to something in your life. And so, how does, how does he grow us the hard, hard way? And I think the best illustration comes from the story and the reaction and the humanity that we see in this story. My favorite passage, one of my favorite passages in the Bible is, as you go and you look back into this story and you see what's happening, back to our question, back to our question, Lazarus is sick for two days. He could have gone, he could have made it, he could have been there and therefore, it says, King James Version, therefore, on hearing the news, Jesus stays what is up with that? It's how he sets up to grow our faith. And because I think the baseline of growing our faith is like this. Faith grows when we see that Jesus Christ often delays to the point where the human mind can no longer see how he can possibly fulfill his promises. Have you, have you ever been in that situation? Because I, I, anything other than that's not faith. <laughs> that's, um, that's those little paint-by-numbers books that my daughters colour in when I'm trying to prep sermons or we're trying to entertain them, right? Like, like Jesus is not set up as a little number that you go from here to here to here to here to here and that somehow uh, that God's good and perfect will is just the, um, what are those things called? Trace the dots? Colour by, what are, what are they called? Dot to dot, thank you, thank you, dot to dot. <laughs> Our faith is not a dot to dot faith. Our faith is when we go into those moments or we go, Lord, I, I can't possibly see anything good coming out of this. But, but Jesus says, it's not a sickness unto death. Great news. And then the next day, Lazarus gets worse. And Lazarus gets worse. And Lazarus gets worse. And then Lazarus dies. And after Jesus looks like he's doing everything he promised to do, he delays. After his delay, his confusing behavior, he's gone. And so it's within that context that Martha comes up to him and she says this, Lord, Martha said... If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, isn't that the question that we often ask in tragedy? Lord, if you had been here, Lord, if you just had answered this prayer that I had for you, Lord, if you just had turned up at the right time, I wouldn't be in this mess. Isn't that how we feel? Lord, if you had just turned up when I asked you to turn up, we wouldn't be in this mess. I like the humanity of it all. But then she says, but I now know that even now God will give you whatever you're asked. Here's the learning lesson for us this morning. 
in those moments of tragedy, your response makes all the difference. Listen to her response. But I know now that even now God will give you whatever you ask. To, to, which to me, I'm sceptical in all of this. I'm kind of wondering like, is, is, she saying that, is she saying that sarcastically if it was me in that moment? I am, my brother's died and Jesus turns up two days late. And by the way, if I found out that he was deliberately diddly-daddling and he's two days late, I would be the most sarcastic person in the planet, would, wouldn't you? you know? Oh, well, yeah, now, yeah, great that you're two days late. That the Lord, yeah, Lord, you'll do whatever you, right? And yet when you look through the Greek and when you look at the tone in the way that she's speaking to Jesus here, it's none of that. It's a declaration of faith. She says, even though this is the most hopeless situation, your God, I'm not. There's still a glimmer of hope that Jesus can do something and recover this. Isn't that faith? Isn't that faith when everything is gone and it's totally out the window and there's just... So long as there is a glimmer of hope that, Lord, you could do something in all of this. That's the tone as to what she's saying. And I know this morning that I speak to a whole bunch of Marys in the room. That you're in the middle of life situations at the moment. And you're saying, Lord, if you just had it turned up, I wouldn't have been in this mess. And you're probably living the life with the sarcasm of, oh, well, you're God, you can fix it. Well, the preacher says that we can fix it. If you're in that space this morning, all I can say is that the choice, your response to that, your response to God in that, your declaration of faith or not in that, absolutely determines whether you're the sort of person who's going to become better or bitter. And I leave that choice in front of you this morning. Look at Mary and Martha. Of course there's emotion. Of course there's disappointment. Of course there's anger. Of course there's grief. But they refuse to question in their little minds and their little schemes the love of Jesus Christ. <laughs> One of our um, beloved ladies in Superconnect. She's almost become the pseudo-spiritual mum of the group. Um, and by the way, if you come to Superconnect, uh, they all know already. They sign... Uh, statements when you come to Superconnect that says anything good from the Superconnect crew can or will be used as my own material in a sermon. And so what I say in these moments of grief, in fact what um, our beloved spiritual mum says in that, and she's been through, she's been through her fair share of deep tragedy in her life and her wrestles with God. And she said a statement that I love and I use in my own life these days. She said, when I go through those moments now, I make the choice to say, instead of God, what are you doing to me? I ask God, what are you doing through me? I think when we feel like God is doing something to us in the middle of all of this anguish, that's when we lose faith. And by the way, there are churches that are really good and making you feel like God is doing something to you in these moments of tragedy. You know, man, it just breaks my heart when you, you hear of this type of preaching. You know what these particular types of Christians can be like. You're in the middle of tragedy, and some bozo Christian says to you, oh, well, there must be some sort of sin in your life. Come on. Bad stuff happens. It's life. It's tragic. You certainly don't need those sorts of comments in the midst of it. 
But then to have people around you to ask you the question with all love and grace and encouragement and we're for you to say, hey, what is God doing through you in that moment? That's a different story. Your response makes all the difference. Now, let me show you something else. And it's only two points this morning, so just chill. <laughs> let me show you something else. You know, Jesus, Jesus comes down to this scene of grief and he, he comes striding up to the mouth of the tomb and how does he get, get up there? Like, does he, does he come walking in with his parade of disciples, sort of saying, yeah, i got this. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa watch out. i got this. All right. I guess. How does he approach the tomb, class? He comes up, and in the most profound sound in history, we hear God crying. And we get to the shortest verse in the Bible. Well, at least I think it's the shortest. I've never looked it up in my computer. The shortest verse where it says, Jesus wept. And so what does it show you this morning? If you're in the middle of these hard, hard circumstances that are growing your faith, the weeping, the weeping assures us that God is not absent in his humanity from the reality that you and I face. In simple terms... If you are angry at God, if you are frustrated at God, if you um, are annoyed at God because he didn't turn up into these circumstances, then at least in this moment, this is a God who gets you. This is a God amongst all the other gods of the religions of the world who has the gumption and the decency in the, in the midst of all the tragedy that we face to swallow his own medicine. Jesus wept. And... And the other puzzling question is, why would Jesus weep when he knows that he's about to go and raise Lazarus from the dead? We've heard that, right? He said, this sickness is gonna, not going to end in, in death, right? Why, why would he weep in the, in the midst of it? I, I think it's this, and I know I'm getting into nosebleed theology. But I think it's in the person of Jesus and his humanity, we see a God that has a willingness and a desire and the gumption to be so entwined in his humanity, in the, in, the, in the person of Jesus Christ, to be so entwined with the human condition that he fully takes it upon himself. That in the weeping, we see the fullness expression of God's connection to our condition in all of this and the ultimate assurance that he's with us. Jesus wept. Only in seeing the tears does it assure us, even if we're angry, we're frustrated, we're disappointed, we're annoyed, only in the tears can we then also declare, not only He is the God that can still raise Lazarus from the dead, He is the God that can still resurrect our circumstances, in that we also have the assurance at the least that He gets us. So, <laughs> what do we see in all of this what is Jesus doing in all of the confusion of all this? Why did he wait? Why did he hold back? Why did he do nothing? Maybe probably that he held back the same way that I held back when I taught my little girl Chelsea how to ride a bike for the first time. And that as I let her go and she goes and stacks it on the concrete. That on one hand there was everything within me screaming that I never wanted to take those darn training wheels off the bike. That if she could just live in her protective little piece of dad's cotton wooling, and if I could just, I don't know, why can't we just have bikes where she just rides around and I've just got a giant handle, you know, sort of out of, out of point of view so she can hang out with her friends and go riding and I could just make sure that she never falls over. Because 
It's the same reason that in that, in that moment that I know as a good father that she would never fully grow if I wrap her up in cotton wool. And that the craziness of my fatherhood in all of that moment is that I would somehow allow my precious daughter to be thrust into a situation of pain? What a sick father I am. <laughs> Come on, the, 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 the scripture says to us, you know, um, what, what, what one of you are going to give your kids a stone when they ask for bread? You know, how much more will your heavenly father, who is so much better than the earthly fathers, give you the things that you need? And we see in this, could it be that God in Jesus Christ is allowing the bad circumstances to come into our life in order to grow our faith? So, look, um, for all of you note takers and the five steps to how to grow your faith, welcome back. It's great to have you in the room. <laughs> um, I'll just post them down in the comments of YouTube. We'll have it there. It's as simple as that. It was just five-step process. It's a difficult wrestle, right? It's a difficult wrestle. And your choice this morning is, do you know the difference? Do you understand the difference between the easy, hard faith and the hard, hard faith? And the difference between two, the difference in the hard, hard faith is whether in that moment you're going to lean into God or you're going to lean away from God whether you're going to lean into God or whether you're going to lean away from God, because we all know those stories in this room this morning. That there are people, and you may well be one of them, that you said, you know what, when I was 12, my mum passed away and I've never forgiven God for that. Maybe just maybe by His grace, you are that person this morning that said, you know what, when I was 18, stuff happened to me, I prayed to God and He didn't turn up in the situation and He delayed and so I've given up on Him for the rest of my life. And then mysteriously, somehow you're listening to this message this morning. How many people do we know that said, well, you know, I prayed that God would do this and I went to church every single week and I read the scriptures and I was praying and I did that. My marriage fell apart and I gave up on God. The choice is whether you lean in or lean away from Him in these moments. And if you choose to lean away from Him, please understand that pain is nothing new. The Bible didn't invent pain. God didn't invent pain to punish us. It's just life. It's life. Tragedy and pain are part of life. Tragedy and pain hit Jesus until he wept. Pain's a part of life, and that's why I love what Philip Yancey, the Christian author, wrote. He said, There is only one thing worse than disappointment with God, and that's disappointment without God. And so I simply say to you this morning, you know, if you're skeptical, you're not a believer, you're a Christian who's ready to turn away, you're angry at God, like, what's your alternative? Pain, pain, or... God pain. But even pain underneath that, the sort of pain where you are able in faith to declare, Lord, what are you doing through this? If you're in despair this morning, if you're hurting this morning, will you add to your prayers? Because we all pray. We add to those prayers of like, heal him or heal her or fix me or fix that. Will you add this morning this to your prayer? Will you add, God, I need to see you in this? first and foremost, and God, will you show me what you are doing through me in this? Because Paul said, our light and momentary troubles are worth nothing compared to the glory that we will one day receive. You know what he's saying? That's hard, hard faith. That's hard, hard faith in all of that. And um, best way to describe it, let me um, finish with a children's story. The Velveteen Rabbit was about these stuffed toys who had a desire to come to life. 
It's a literary masterpiece. And there's a great little segment out of The Velveteen Rabbit that goes like this. Real isn't how you are made, said the skin horse to the rabbit. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? Does it hurt? Asked the rabbit. Sometimes when you're real, you don't mind being hurt. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or have sharp edges or have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you are real, you can't be ugly except to those who don't understand. Um, Some of you this morning feeling like a spiritual velveteen rabbit, like your eyes are falling out and you're loose in the joints and you feel like, you know, God has just kind of loved you through the roughness, <laughs> that there are just bits of you that are going to fall off. And I want to say to you this morning that pain is nothing new and that the possibility that we see from this story this morning is that pain is not only a reality in our life, it's a reality in Jesus's life. And when we see a God who wept, then maybe, just maybe, we can have the assurance, but even the faith, dare we say it, to believe that in these moments of hardship when we're learning through all of the pain and the suffering that we face, that God is growing our faith, not the easy hard way, but the hard hard way. (laughs) Whether or not you allow yourself to be grown by that is your choice this morning. Let me pray for you now. Father... I know the complexity of the stories and the pains and the thoughts that would be coming to our minds now in this moment. And so I commit each and every one of us to you, Lord, that you would grant us just a a glimpse of that faith that we see in Mary, the faith to be able to declare that, Lord, you are able to do something in the midst of this. Father, we praise you and thank you for those moments that have made no sense. We stop to reflect, particularly in this time of communion, on your faithfulness in our lives. Thank you for the story after story after story. I thank you for every one of those hands that we saw around this auditorium this morning that have lived and and understood and seen the way that you have been with us on the other side of the difficulties that we face in life. Father, I pray that as we head out this morning and as we continue to do life together with one another, we might bring words of encouragement. The blessing of the comforters would be brought in at the right time to declare that we've been through this before. I've been through what you're going through. I know it's possible that you're able to make it through. And that if if anything, Lord, in this moment, for those who are really hurting this morning, may your comfort and your peace, which transcends all understanding, fall upon them in this moment. May they sense you in the quietness of this place. May you be more real to us by your Holy Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Every week in this package of possibly difficult to open bread, 
You think getting through life's hard, try eating communion since COVID happened. <laughs> Guys, I love that we do this every week. I love that we're a church that just doesn't have this on the roster, say, oh, we do communion at this time of the month. For this reason that, I don't know if you're anything like me, when I'm having one of those weeks that I'm in church, I'm kind of angry, kind of peed off at God, kind of frustrated with Him, and I have those moments because I'm a pastor, I've got to turn up. When you're angry at God, you don't come to church. <laughs> right? So I'm kind of stuck with it. And I'm healed in this moment because I come back to this. And I go, there was a body that was broken for me. And there was blood that was shed for me. <laughs> and Jesus in his cheekiness. And he was cheeky. We know that, Holly Gopper story. Jesus in his cheekiness says, oh, come on, Sam. You're not going through anything I haven't first been through before you. If you're angry at me, well, I at least had the gumption to swallow my own medicine. Sit on that for a little bit. That's what we're going to do now as we eat and we drink and we take communion. Let's do that now. Hey, as, uh, as followers of Jesus are reflecting on what it means to them uh, to follow a God who swallows his own medicine, I encourage you, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, to just follow him anyway. You don't have to have faith to pick up the scriptures and read about Jesus as a wise teacher. It certainly is a God who had the gumption to swallow his own medicine. If you're checking things out and you're, you're in that space this morning, um, Jesus will meet you wherever you're at. <laughs> I can think of all the difficulties that we need to face. I can tell you life will be that little bit better if you do it, at least with a bit of his wisdom. Wait about, um, leave the faith bit to a little bit later down the track. He'll sort that out with you. Um, so if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, follow him anyway. See what happens. Come to Super Connect tomorrow night. Um, for the rest of us, let's sit and think upon this God who gets us as we continue to worship.
declare this morning, good Father, that that is who you are. You're the one, oh Father, that provides, that heals, that challenges us, Father, to be more like you, to build our faith, to provide and sustain, oh Father, all that we are. Sing one time. You are. 